0: Well, this this year in God's providence, Thanksgiving Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent, as you all know, come back to back like a double shot in the arm for this body as we launch a new beginning together. This week we turn from the cornucopia of this good earth, that horn of plenty that we talked about last Sunday and enjoyed at our turkey dinner over in the Hall of Faith. We turn from that to what really is we're going to see the source of it all, which you see in that picture. This year, I don't know about you, but I'd like to celebrate Christmas as never before. And we've started early. First Sunday and uh, ever, we've got our uh, Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving. <laughs> and what's in this picture, what you'll see up there on the screens, will soon be in our homes, I hope all of your homes this year. And it can help us to do just that, to celebrate Christmas like never before, as we understand the true meaning of what's up there. The tree up there is about really the truth of his grace and it's about the light uh, and the light of his glory as we'll see today. It's a vision. It's a vision that can be a shot in the arm whenever we look at it. It sure is for me. And I'd like to share today how it can be for you too if it isn't already. Because Christmas may be a downer for you. It, It is for many. But if you're shadowed at Christmas by something that happened in years past, if you're haunted, you know, by some ghost of Christmas past, as many of you are, including me, this is especially for you, but it's for all of us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached one of his most effective sermons. That's kind of about this. It's from an obscure verse in Hosea, one that says, I have multiplied visions among you, Hosea 12.10, and used Parables. Spurgeon said, I shall endeavor to show you today how every day, in every season of the year, in every place, God is speaking to you in parables. Today, at the beginning of this season of the year, I shall endeavor to show you at the heart of the vision that's up there on the screens, that God is speaking to you, to all of us, in a powerful, uh, seasonal parable. A parable is a comparison of one thing to another. And just two chapters later in Hosea, in Hosea 14.8, God compares himself to something when he says, I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. And what is an evergreen cypress from which comes our fruit? Does that look familiar? That's an evergreen cypress. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. And today we'll see just... How true that is. The parable that I'd like to tell you about this year is a vision that's hidden in plain view every year. We showcase it in our living rooms. It's the largest and the most prominent of all our decorations. And though we don't know it, it's for a reason. It's an unforgettable picture. It's a seasonal uh, parable that comes right from the scripture. One that can fill us with the spirit of Christmas whenever we look. Maybe even help us to celebrate it as never before as we together enter a new chapter. It's my favorite part of the Christmas season. It sounds trite, but it's not. It's the Christmas tree. So bear with me. If it's not for you. You'll especially need to humor me if you're like the friend of ours at the church we pastored in Estes Park back in the 90s. He was an engineer, and he liked the tree, but he, hate de- he hated decorating the tree. So when they built their retirement home up there, he designed like this secret closet behind the fireplace in the living room, and he would store his tree there, fully decorate it, out, and pull it out every year, and then push it back in. I hope that we <laughs> don't get any ideas, please. I hope once we're done today, even if you cheat like that, I hope you'll never again look at your tree in the same way. And I hope that the same will be true for your children, maybe, and your grandchildren, as perhaps you share with them, too, the meaning of the Christmas tree. Because what you'll be hearing today can turn it from uh, this ritual to a reality, from a task to, really, a tribute, From this drain, for many of us anyway, this pain perhaps, to a source of great gain that's there just for the looking. A means of grace it can be, especially in the midst of grief. So bear with me. I know it may sound funny, but I can't help but talk about the Christmas tree. So humor the child in me. It's out of loyalty to him. And jealousy for him, that I give you this today, this tribute to him. One that says, as we just sang, O come, let us adore him. Really, it goes back to the old German Christmas carol. You might remember it, O tenenbaum, O tenenbaum, O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree. Your boughs can teach a lesson. You're a vision of a parable for all to see. The parable of the Christmas tree is hidden in plain view, not only in our living rooms, but from the beginning to the end of Scripture. It's a lesson that comes directly from the Bible and and indirectly from certain Christian traditions where I'd like to begin as we look first at uh, its historical roots, Roman numeral one in your notes. Now there are some Scrooges out there who would say otherwise, some extreme Scrooges. You might call them witch hunters or kind of Christmas, you know, ghostbusters who find pagan roots in everything and so they throw out the baby with the bathwater. They'd say that Christmas as we know it is rooted not in any kind of Christian tradition but in certain pagan traditions and they would say that we're virtually pagans because we celebrate it like we do, extreme fundamentalists. The other day I ran across a typical article by one of them called, Is Christmas Christian? This may be a shocking thought thought for some, he says. But after wrestling with the question for several years now, searching the scriptures and church history, I have come to the conclusion that there is nothing Christian about Christmas. That in its present observance, as well as in its origin, Christmas is basically and essentially pagan. This is for real. These articles are out there. Just Google pagan Christmas. The Scrooges would say that if there's a lesson in the tree, it's a bad one, and it's not a good one because it finds its origins in uh, paganism. But I would rather say that while many cultures have caught glimpses of the truth of the tree that you'll find uh, all through history uh, celebrated, we have seen its fullness. They may have perverted it, they may have contaminated it, but we have consummated it. And on top of that, the fullness of the tree... Uh, that you'll see up there on the screens in a bit doesn't come from pagan traditions, no far, far from it. It's a rich synergy of Christian traditions. Back in the 11th century, for instance, religious plays called mystery plays became quite popular throughout Europe. They performed them both outdoors uh, and indoors. One of the most popular was called the Paradise Play, which was about the story of Adam and Eve, and it ended up with the promise of the Savior. It was a very simple play by today's standards. In fact, it had only a single prop, and that prop looked something like this. It was the Paradise Tree, which was a fir tree uh, and evergreen. It was adorned with apples, that stood for the forbidden fruit and often they had uh, wafers on the tree that stood for the bread of life because it symbolized back then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life kind of two in one. The play was so popular that people ended up putting it up, uh, putting up a paradise tree in their own homes on December 24th. And they did it on the 24th, not because of any pagan holiday, but because in the Eastern Church, this was the feast day of Adam and Eve when they talked about the trees in the garden and all the lessons that they needed to, to learn from them. And they had visuals like this. And at the same time, there was another custom that Christians in the uh, uh, Middle Ages were practicing on December 24th for centuries. On Christmas Eve, they they would light a candle, a large candle called the Christmas light to celebrate Christ who's the light of the world. In Western Germany, they set up smaller candles on this like pyramid or a simple candelabra and they would surround it with objects like glass balls symbolizing uh, the, uh, fruit and tinsel and on top of the pyramid, they placed the star of Bethlehem. And so some had this tall candle in their home, this Christmas light. Others had a pyramid-shaped candelabra, the Christmas pyramid with decorations and a crowning star. Others had this tree, And some of them survive till this day. The Christmas candelabras survive. Here's a Swedish one. And the Christmas pyramids have evolved considerably. They're very popular in Europe, uh, in places like Austria. That's an Austrian one. There's a German Christmas pyramid with lights and uh, a manger scene at the bottom. And over the centuries, in all the Western traditions, they came together into a synergy of glory. The stars uh, and the lights and the candelabras and the decorations and the gifts and the ornaments and the presents and much else ended up on the Christ- uh, the paradise tree minus the apples. And it was minus the apples because the tree became the tree of life, the Christmas tree as we know it today, and a parable of all it brings. A parable of what? Well, the deeper question might be a parable of who? And the scripture gives the answer as we turn to Roman numeral two in your notes and look at the biblical roots of the Christmas tree. According to scripture, and there's a lot here we're just gonna have to skim over, but uh, godly people are like fruitful trees. And in particular, according to Solomon, people who are truly wise are like a tree of life. Why? Because they resemble someone else. Something else and really, someone. Proverbs thirteen three. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom? For she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. That is, wise people are like a tree of life because they're like wisdom herself, who is the tree of life. And now that we're in the New Testament, we know that Christ is the wisdom of God. Like it says in Colossians two three, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's so much more there in Scripture, but the simple point is this. Solomon taught that wise people are like a tree of life because they're like wisdom herself, who is the tree of life, which we now know is another name for Christ himself. He has many names and he takes different forms. You can't exhaust him. He's the bright and morning star. He's the lily of the valley. He's the lamb. He's the lion. He's the vine. He's the branch. He's the root of Jesse. And he's the tree of life. From which we'll eat and feast forever at the marriage feast of the Lamb. You find it from the beginning to the end of Scripture. The Scripture couldn't be more clear. It stands for Christ. The lion and the lamb are his his symbol in the animal kingdom, and the tree is his symbol in the plant kingdom. And this shouldn't be surprising, because trees resemble Christ in so many ways, so much so that we plant in our living rooms each year. What we plant there has not only historical roots and biblical roots, but it has countless natural roots and roles. Roman numeral three in your notes. It's a parable, for instance, of how he's the sustainer of life. As we all know, trees absorb the carbon dioxide in the air and they produce most of the oxygen that's necessary for life. They regulate the global climate by processing these these prodigious amounts of heat and cold and water all of which impact temperatures and wind patterns and precipitation and make life possible. That thing that we put up in the living room is a miracle worker. I mean, in full summer, an average tree lifts a ton of water a day and heaves it heavenward to come back down on the earth. Sends it into the atmosphere where it becomes the life, wa- life for, the, for the world, the water of life. Through a process called transpiration. And trees have got the whole world in their hands, literally, at least a good part of it. They keep it from eroding away through these tap roots that spread far and wide and plunge downward. Uh, their roots are like sole uh, anchors. They, uh, some trees send out wide mats that clutch whole acres of land and keep it from washing away when, uh, through the winds and storms of life. Just like he's our sole anchor who keeps us from slip sliding away. It's one of their most important functions. There's much more. But trees are the source of most of our fruit, the givers of water, the sustainers of life. Rainforests alone sustain 75% of the world's plant and animal species. And they've got the whole world in their hands to keep it from slip sliding away. And what all that means is this, and we've just skimmed the surface. All these roots, the historical roots and the biblical and the natural and the spiritual and the eternal roots of the tree, all come together uh, in a picture that is powerful and unforgettable uh, and inexhaustible parable. And it's all the basis, point four in your notes, for really our annual tribute for me it begins when i look at that bare tree and i hear him saying i am like an evergreen cypress from me comes your roots your fruits and we affirm this as we go on to hang his many gifts on the trees like fruit from the branches We've got snowmen on our tree and toys, and we've got a little boat ornament that says, The worst day of fishing is better than a good day at work. Now, I don't know why that's there, but I hate, because I hate fishing, but I guess it's a good thing too that we put on our tree. One of his blessings, and we got wooden hearts. With the fruits of the Spirit engraved on them, love, joy, peace, and birds and animals and fish and gingerbread men and teddy bears and a rocking horse too. I mean, anything goes. Anything good goes on the tree. Because it's all from Him. And underneath all those branches that are heavy laden with these little gifts, underneath all these little reminders of all that's, you know, on this good earth are all the presents. And they're under the tree because every perfect gift comes from above, right? James 1.17, from him who richly supplies us all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6.17, who satisfies our years with good things, Psalm 103.5, who fills us with his treasure, Psalm 17, 14. Who on his own birthday floods the world with a spirit of generosity, with gifts for us to the point that we get the presence, which is just like him. And stepping back and taking it all in, you can't help but say, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Oh, come, let us adore him. And the lights. (laughs) For 35 years, I've been wrapping lights around every single limb and around every branch that comes out from every single limb, from the trunk to the edge of the the, the branches, thousands of them. Our tree is alive with lights. I almost started a fire once. (laughs) This year, the breaker is only broken twice. I mean, we're talking 3,000 lights. Why? Well, he's the light of the world. So much so that it takes two days to string them. But it's the least I can do to honor his birthday. You, you could see our tree from Highway 6, <laughs> which is about a mile from our home up in Summit County, just off of Swan Mountain Road. We're renting it out now, but it's part of the contract that they could continue the tradition of the tree. Not really, but I was tempted to do that. <laughs> For the whole month of December, all the cars streaming from Dillon to Keystone could see it if they just looked in the right direction, in the direction of Swan Mountain. As they passed Lake Dillon and wound along the base of Tenderfoot Mountain, they'd see th- this, this, this star of Bethlehem in the bay window that guides our souls to Him. It's at the center of our hearth and home every Christmas season, of our celebrations, of our affections. Out of loyalty to Him, out of jealousy for Him, we offer up this tribute to Him, one that colors our hearts With the true meaning of Christmas for those who have eyes to see. A tribute that says, like we sang, Oh, come, let us adore him. The final thing is this. As I said at the beginning, Christmas can be a hard time of the year. And I can relate, it sure was for me and still is sometimes. For me, it started 60 years ago this year. On December 24th, Christmas of 1959, was the last time my first father was home before he passed away of cancer. And after 60 years, his passing can still shadow me at this time of year. Kind of a ghost of Christmas past. Maybe your Christmas is haunted too. By the loss of a mother, father, pastor, friend, or some other loved one. Through death or divorce or dysfunction or just distance. Some of you go through the valley of the shadow of death at this time of the year. And if so, there's a lesson for you too. Even as there is for me. It's in this very carol. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. The carol's based on a 16th century Silesian folk song, a tragic love song about a faithless lover. And the writer chose the evergreen, the Christmas tree, as a symbol of his constancy and faithfulness. Because through all our crosses, through all our losses, He says, I am like an evergreen cypress. He is as sure to appear in our lives as he does each year in our homes. And he will do it with you too. He will. Because standing before us each year is the very picture of what he brings to us all through the years. And of what he will bring still. And so it's not just for him that I do it. It's for me. Because when we're done, that tree is a ghostbuster. A good one. That drives the dark away. It's an eye full of glory through which I can then choose to believe. When the ghost of Christmas past shadows me, it's a star of Bethlehem that leads me to him. Shadows flee in the light of his glory, who brings light out of darkness, just as he has done here since this Sunday last year at FEC, for a new beginning this year. I see Jesus high and lifted up, hidden in plain view in more ways than one because according to Peter, he bore our sins on a tree. And we just need to name him there every year. I see the fruit of his great name there, creator, sustainer, redeemer, healer, my savior, defender. And so, as I stand there in the light of His glory, I just add His name. That's all you have to do. And say, all the weak find their strength at the sound of your great name. Remember the song? Hungry souls receive grace at the sound of your great name. The fatherless, they find their rest at the sound of your great name. Sick are healed, the dead are raised at the sound of your great name. Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us, son of God and man. You are high and lifted up in my home this year. That all the world will praise your great name as they go from Dillon to Keystone. (laughs) Redeemer, my healer, God Almighty, my Savior, Defender. You are my King. You are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. The Christmas tree gives sight to our faith. The summary is this. It's a means of grace at the bottom of your notes that says, Light and life to all He brings. Remember the carol, hark the herald angels sing. It's the summary of it all as the worship leaders come forward. It's in the third verse, the verse that climaxes the carol, it says Life and life to light and life to all he brings, risen with what? Healing in his wings, as it says in Revelation, the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations, along with so much more both now and forevermore. Amen.